You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gcceugene.org. Welcome again to GCC. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Brad and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, If you're new with us, we're really, really glad you're with us. This you're experiencing kind of just a normal Sunday for us. We gather, we worship, uh, we spend time hanging out with one another, we hear from God's word, we worship, and then we hang out some more. And so that's a a normal Sunday for us. The only not normal thing is some some of the kids are joining us this morning, which we try to do occasionally. And so this morning will hopefully be a little bit shorter uh, to to uh, yeah to manage the the kids' attention spans. Um, we have been in a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Jesus preached this sermon. Uh, it's the longest recorded teaching we have of Jesus in the scriptures. It's in the book of Matthew. And we're, we're coming to the close. We're, we're kind of wrap it, starting to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount, these teachings of Jesus. Uh, we've titled this series, Live, because we believe that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is uh, teaching us how to live. He's, he's telling his followers, what does it look like to live in the kingdom of God? What does it look like to live as followers of Jesus? So that's what we've been exploring as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to read the section we're in today. It's in Matthew chapter 7. It's verses 7 through 14. If you'll follow along with me, uh, if you don't have a Bible and would like one, there's some on the connect table. Uh, if you don't have one at home, you can take that. That's yours for free. Uh, you can grab one and follow along this morning, and it should be up on the screen as well. So Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 14. I'm going to read it and pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. It says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Let's pray. Father, thank you um, for this morning. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning that we get to gather today as your children who are beloved, uh, who you delight over, you cherish. So we, we do not have to perform a certain way uh, to earn your love or affection for us. God, you, you give that to us freely because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. And so I pray that there would just be a tremendous amount of freedom in the room today as we uh, consider these, these words that you spoke, Jesus, and what they mean for us, um, that we would receive them with humility, but also with freedom, knowing um, that we can obey them. We have been empowered to obey them by your spirit and our obedience to them doesn't change your love for us. I pray that you would help me. You should help me to speak clearly, uh, that the gospel would be proclaimed uh, really loudly and clearly, uh, and that it would take root in our hearts and begin to transform us. God, we pray um, for our nation. We thank you for it. We thank you that though no nation is perfect, we are uh, thankful that we get to worship publicly in freedom 
Uh, right now, we pray for our leaders. You tell us to do that. So we pray that our leaders would be making decisions that are wise uh, and promote good and punish evil and promote human flourishing. And um, yeah, we pray for the gospel to be pro- proclaimed in our city, uh, in our state, in our nation, in our world. We know that the only thing that will truly change people's hearts and will actually truly change society and our world is the the gospel taking hold of people's hearts. And so I pray that our church would always be committed to that mission and that message and that churches in this city and around the world would do the same. Be with us now as we look at your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Jenna and I, my wife and I started watching a new show on Netflix. It's called Snowflake Mountain. Has anyone else? Yeah, okay. This show is wild. Uh, so Snowflake is a like usually a younger person. Mark's shaking his head. A snowflake is a younger person who uh, is oftentimes overly sensitive or easily offended. Uh, they're entitled, uh, and they think they deserve special treatment, that they're unique. They're oftentimes very spoiled. The whole premise of this show is that... Uh, there's 20 snowflakes, okay, 20 young people whose parents have tricked them. Their, their parents told them that they were going to be sent to this private resort to participate in a reality TV show. They get dropped off in the middle of the woods, and uh, they don't know any of this is happening. And then they, they're met by these two guys, they're ex-military, and now they teach survival like uh, training classes in the wilderness. And so they think they're going to a pri- like a private villa resort where they're going to be on this reality TV show, but actually their parents have tricked them. They need to learn some hard lessons in life and not be so entitled. Uh, I wouldn't like recommend the show, but I also wouldn't not recommend it. It's like, it's not, it's like fine. It's, it's not going to win any awards. <laughs> it's pretty entertaining, kind of funny. Um, so that's been what we've been watching. The point, these people, uh, they have a a really hard time doing difficult tasks. They've been spoiled their whole life. They're entitled. And so they they don't know how to actually provide for themselves. None of them, you know, cook or clean or do the dishes or anything like that. And so they they get put through all these different challenges and tasks to hopefully learn some things like self-sufficiency and responsibility and effort and these kinds of things. On the very first day when they find out what's happening, their, their challenge is they realize what's happening. They have to hike to their, their camp, which is not like a very long hike. They get there and one of the girls is like, that was too much, I'm done. <laughs> like, I've never been on a hike before in my life. This is the last time I'm ever gonna do it. Uh, and so she goes home. They can go home whenever they want. They can quit whenever they want. But the goal is that they do difficult things so that they actually learn something from it and gain something from it. Now, the the show is highlighting a very specific demographic, these snowflakes, right? Um, And I don't think we have any in the room this morning, but I do think that though we might not identify with that specific demographic, I do think the show exposes something in us as humans, and that's an aversion to or, or a dislike of things that are difficult. Generally speaking, we will prefer an easier route, an easier path. If there are two options before us, one is difficult, one is easy, we will most of the time choose the easy route. And I think this is especially true when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to following Jesus. We hope, our expectation is that following Jesus will be easy, that it won't inconvenient our lives too much, that it won't alter or change things, uh, it, it won't be too difficult. We desire this, I don't know where we get it, because nothing in Scripture would indicate that the Christian life is an easy one. 
In fact, according to Jesus, it's a really difficult one. Jesus describes following him like dying to yourself, like actually laying your life down. It's not going to be easy. And all through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been teaching us how to live, and nothing he has said so far is easy. There's nothing easy about following Jesus. But like the difficult tasks that the the snowflakes and the show have to do, hopefully they will see that doing things that aren't easy are actually worth it. And in the same way, following Jesus might not be easy, but it's worth it. It's not an easy life. Some examples. It's not easy to give, to serve, to consistently and faithfully show up to church. It's not easy to confess sin and be held accountable. It's not easy to engage with people that are different from us. It's not easy to resolve conflict, have difficult conversations, and reconcile relationships. It's not easy to say that you're sorry, to acknowledge that you made a mistake, and humbly ask for forgiveness. It's not easy to be patient, kind, and gentle with those that are especially difficult for us to interact with. It's not easy to open ourselves up to correction, rebuke, and the loving intervention of others. None of this is easy, but they're all things that Jesus has called us to do as his disciples. None of it's easy, but it's worth it. And that's the, the kind of the main point this morning is that it isn't easy, but it's worth it. Following Jesus isn't easy, but it's worth it. So why, why isn't it easy? What about following Jesus isn't easy? Uh, This part of the Sermon on the Mount, I I believe, is kind of the transition from the main body of the sermon into Jesus's conclusion. And he's going to start talking about these kinds of two different, we get the beginning of that and the narrow gate and the wide gate. And he talks about good trees and bad trees and a man who builds his house on a rock and a man who builds his house on the sand. He's kind of giving us these two alternate paths that we can take based on everything he just said. And he's transitioning into that conclusion. And he summarizes, I think everything he said so far in the Sermon on the Mount, he summarizes in one sentence. And it's a sentence that we're all familiar with. It's a sentence that has been labeled the golden rule. And for the most part, people have an idea of what this golden rule is. In verse 12, Jesus says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You can boil all of Jesus' teaching about interpersonal relationships and interacting with one another into this one sentence. In fact, Jesus says, this is the law and the prophets. You can boil the Old Testament and God's law to his people down to this single sentence. Whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. Now, some form of the golden rule exists in almost every other religion. From Judaism to Buddhism, all other religions have some form of this golden rule. But there's one difference that seems subtle, but is actually, actually changes it completely. In every other instance, this golden rule is stated in the, in the negative sense. So rather than do to others what you would want them to do to you, it is don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. It's subtle, but it's vastly different because it's, it's really easy to not do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. In fact, this is basic common sense that is necessary for a society to function. Odds are pretty good, I hope, no one woke up this morning thinking, man, it's going to be really hard to not murder anyone today. Like, like you, didn't, you didn't have to consciously think, I have to make sure I don't do anything really horrible to people today. It's easy to follow this version of the, uh, the golden rule, this kind of negative version, because it's very passive. 
It's easy to just not do bad things to people. You just kind of live your life. In fact, avoiding people is probably a good thing to do because then you won't do anything bad to them. So, so do no harm. Don't do anything to anyone that you wouldn't want done to yourself. Jesus is the only one who says that the other way. And what he's asking for is actually much different. Not just passive obedience, avoidance of doing harm, but actually moving towards people to do good being active and intentional in our love towards other people. So you might not have woken up this morning and thought, I'm going to have a really hard time not murdering anyone today. But you could have woken up this morning thinking, I really don't want to go to church today. Or I really don't want to serve my spouse today. Or I really don't want to talk to this specific person at church today because they're really difficult for me to engage with. You see, what Jesus is calling us to is actually much more difficult than just a passive obedience. It's active. It's easy to, when you're walking down the street, not like shove a stranger into the road. It's a little more difficult to actually look them in the eye, acknowledge their existence, smile at them, have a conversation. It's fairly easy to not burn your neighbor's house down, hopefully. Uh, It's a little more difficult to be hospitable to your neighbor and actually engage them in relationships. It's easy to, and I'm not calling anyone out here. I don't have anyone specific on my mind, okay? It's easy to sit in your chair and not talk to anyone during the greeting time at church. It's a little more difficult to actually move towards people that you don't know. It's easy to not hurl insults at people who don't believe the gospel. It's a lot, much, it's a lot more difficult to actually share the gospel, the good news, with those who don't know it. You see, what Jesus is calling us to is not an easy task to do to others what we would want them to do to us but it's worth it. Now, if you notice, Jesus doesn't have to tell us what we want people, how we want people to treat us. We're really good at knowing what we want people to do for us. We're really good at knowing how we want others to treat us. We have an expectation of how people should treat us because we're at the center of our world and our universe. Where we struggle, where our hearts become selfish is then extending that same courtesy, extending that same kind of love towards people around us. It's easy to look inward. It's easy to see how we want to be treated. It's difficult to then go and treat others that way. And so it's not easy. It's not easy, but it's definitely worth it. In verse 13, he says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus lays out two options before us. This is another one of Jesus's either or. It's not a both and. There's no third gate or third path here. It's one or the other. A narrow gate, which is living the life that Jesus is calling us to, doing what he's commanded, doing to others what you would want them to do to yourself, obeying the Sermon on the Mount and all of other, Jesus's other teachings and commandments. The wide gate is the opposite. It's not thinking about the needs of others, but only on yourself. It's ignoring and rejecting Jesus' commands, and it's living life according to what you think is right and wrong and good and evil. The narrow gate is hard. It's difficult. The wide gate is easy. It's a lot easier to be selfish than it is selfless. The narrow gate is traveled by few. The wide gate is traveled by many. The life Jesus is calling us to is not a popular one. It's not one that is going to attract massive, massive crowds of of lots of people. It's going to be traveled by the few. It's going to be few people that can live the kind of selfless life that Jesus is calling us to. But here's here's why it's worth it. 
is what it leads to. It says the narrow gate leads to life and the wide gate leads to destruction. When you lay down your life for the good of others, when you extend your, yourself beyond just yourself and when you look outward and into other people's lives, this actually brings life to you and to them. So that's why we titled this, this sermon series, Live. Because we believe that if we actually did what Jesus is telling us to do, we would experience full and abundant life. Jesus, is, Jesus made us. He created us. He knows what, what we are and who we are as human beings. He lived as a human. Jesus probably knows, probably, Jesus knows better than anyone what it means to be human. And so if, if we want to live full and abundant lives and be actually truly fully human, then it'd be in our best interest to do what he says. And so, so that's the life that Jesus is talking about that we will have if we go through this narrow gate. The wide gate, the one that everyone goes through, the one that's easy to go through brings destruction. See, when you're, when you're selfish, when you think only about yourself, you actually end up destroying yourself. Not just yourself, but those around you. Destruction is the result of going through the wide, easy gate. Following Jesus isn't easy but it is worth it. Now, okay, I skipped a couple verses. How in the world did those fit in? The, there's a lot of awesome things about Jesus. One of the awesome things about Jesus is he doesn't give us an awesome, a difficult task with no help in doing that difficult task. I think that's how verses 7 through 10 fit into, or through 11 fit into this passage, is that he actually gives us not, not just a lifeline, but like our source of actually doing the things he's called us to. On our own, I think following Jesus and, and fulfilling the golden rule and all this kind of stuff that Jesus is calling to, I think it's impossible. But with help, specifically his help, God's help, it becomes not just possible, uh, but doable. That's the same thing. Possible and doable. You know, you know what I mean. Here's what he says. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good, gift, good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? A couple weekends ago, I went fishing uh, with my dad. We went salmon fishing on the McKenzie River, and it was a guided trip. Uh, it was a gift from him to me. It happened to be on Father's Day weekend. It worked out really well. It was great. It was a lot of fun. We started fishing at like 4.30 in the morning, and we didn't catch fish for hours. And we, like, at like 8.30, 9 o'clock, we pull over to the side of the river. We're kind of waiting for people to pass through this hole we've been fishing, and we pull out some snacks. And I pulled out a banana out of my bag and started eating a banana. Some of you are chuckling. Yeah, because you don't have a banana in the boat when you're fishing, right, Tom? Yeah, so I pull out this banana, and both my dad and the guide are like, oh, that's why we're not catching any fish. There's a banana in the boat. I'm like, there's a what? No joke. At the same time, I'm texting a friend. He's like, are you catching any fish? I said, nope. He's like, oh, there must be a banana in the boat. I'm like, okay. So I eat my stupid banana, throw the banana peel on the side of the river, and we start catching fish. Um, if you've ever, if you're a serious fisherman or if you've ever fished with a serious fisherman, you know there's all kinds of superstitions around fishing. When I was a kid, my dad and my grandpa would always, if I wasn't catching fish, they'd say, oh, you're not holding your mouth right. I'm like, okay, so as a kid, you're like trying to hold your mouth and different things. All kinds of superstitions around fishing on top of an already kind of technical sport where you're trying different baits and lures and rods and all this kinds of different stuff. 
Okay, what in the world am I talking about? Just a funny story? No, I think we think, I think oftentimes we approach prayer like we approach fishing with superstitions and formulas and calculations where if we do this right, if we, if we hold our mouth a certain way or if we are in the right posture or if we put the right combination of words together, then we will have God's ear. Then he will hear us. Uh, then, then our prayers will be answered. This doesn't come from scripture. What comes from scripture is actually much more simple. What Jesus says is simply ask. Ask and you will find, or ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Jesus' teaching on prayer is much, much more simple than we oftentimes make it. It's usually so simple that we add stuff to it because it can't be that easy. And there's some irony here. Jesus is calling us to a difficult task of following him. Do you want help? Do something really easy and ask. Ask God for help. What is, yeah, what is it that we're asking, asking God for? I don't think this text is speaking about asking for a new car or a new house or a raise or a promotion or maybe a spouse. I don't think it's necessarily bad to ask for those things, but asking for those things don't get the guaranteed response that Jesus is talking about here. In context, I think Jesus is saying to ask for help in doing what it is he, he's, he's laid out for us. Ask for help in living in the kingdom of God, obeying his commands, doing to others what we would want them to do to us. If you think back to everything we've covered so far in the Sermon on the Mount, it has not been easy. Jesus has covered difficult topics, things like lust and anger, divorce, keeping your word, not retaliating when people harm you, how to pray, how to fast, how to give, what do we, how do we think about money, anxiety, judging one another, and having discernment to know when to, to correct someone and when not to. These are difficult things. If you've, if you've been read through the Sermon on the Mount and you think, I got this, you don't, and you read it wrong. <laughs> Try again. It's not easy. It's difficult. So we're going to need help. And here towards the end of the sermon, Jesus says, you need help, just ask. Just ask your Father in heaven for help for wisdom and discernment, for new holy desires, for eyes to see opportunities to engage with people, for courage and discipline and greater love and compassion. And we can ask God for help and trust that he will help us because he's a good father who gives good gifts. Jesus says, human fathers who are evil, they know how to give good gifts to their children. So how much more will our heavenly father give us good gifts? Uh, This phrase has come up twice in Jesus' teaching on prayer, our Father in heaven or our heavenly Father. And it shows two sides of who God is and why we can ask him for help. Shows both God's desire and his ability to act in our lives. He is our Father, and so he wants to help. He has a desire to, to help us because he is close. He's relational. He has love for us. He likes us. He delights in us. He is our Father. But he's not just our Father. He's also our Father in heaven. So he has power. He's the creator. He's the sustainer of all things. He can actually do the things we're asking him to do. If you just have a father, you have someone with good intentions, but no power to actually act on those intentions. If you just have a God who's in heaven, you have all the power in the world, but no relational desire to actually act on those things. But with God, we have a heavenly father who has the desire and the ability to act in our lives. As as a father, I want my son Riggs to succeed. 
I want him to learn. I want him to grow. I want him to be successful in life. And uh, when he was learning to walk just a few months ago, he would you know, kind of stumble around and then fall over and then pick himself up and stumble around and fall over. It's my, my natural instinct as a father to help him do something that will be good for him. It will be good for his life. He will have full and abundant life if he can learn to walk rather than crawl. And it's my instinct to step in and help, to pick him up, to cheer him on, to hold his hand. That's my natural instinct as a father. And I'm evil. <laughs> my heart is sinful and selfish. So how much more is our, our perfect, holy father in heaven going to step in and help us do the things that are going to bring about life in our, in, in our life? Following Jesus is not easy, but it's worth it. Jesus knows what it's like to do something that's difficult, but worth it. And he knows it better than we ever will. There is nothing easy about the cross. There's nothing easy about God, about Jesus giving up his divinity to step into our world, to become a human, to be to be dependent on other humans, to, to not have a home, a place to rest his head, to have friends that would betray him and abandon him. It was not easy for him to succumb to physical pain and torture, emotional pain, and ultimately the wrath of God. Nothing Jesus went through on this earth was easy. It was difficult. He experienced the difficulty of all of it, but it was worth it. Why was it worth it? Because you're worth it. You see, you have, you have so much value and worth to Jesus, that he was willing to go through the most difficult thing in human history so that you could be his. And he had to do this. As Chris said earlier, the reality is we are all in sin, and we are all walking through the wide gate that leads to destruction. On our own, we're headed right towards destruction, living selfish lives consumed with ourselves. And we can't escape that without intervention. And Jesus comes to intervene. Jesus takes our place. He walks through the wide gate and goes into the destruction that is meant for us so that we don't have to. And then when by faith we're united to him and we go through the narrow gate that leads to life by, because we're attached to him, not on our own. Jesus came to live the life we couldn't live, die the death we deserve, and then rise from the grave to offer us eternal life with him forever. In Christ, we have a new heart, a new perspective, a new way of looking at the world that moves beyond just what we would want for ourselves and how, how should we treat other people. Jesus did the difficult thing of the cross of laying down his life because he saw that we were worth it to him. It's now the responsibility and call for us as people who follow him is to do the difficult things of laying down our lives for others because they're worth it. And when we do this, this will actually bring life. The difficult thing of laying down our life to serve others, to, to raise others up, to treat others how we would want to be treated, is actually what will bring us fullness of life. It's impossible without Jesus. It's impossible without prayer. We have all the help in the world we could ever need to do these things, and we still have to do them. So my hope and prayer for us as a church is that uh, we would grow in this, that we would grow in our need and dependence on God through prayer that we would grow in recognizing him as our heavenly father who gives us good gifts and that we would grow in doing to one another what we would want one another to do, what we would want people to do to us everyone in here knows how they want to be treated let's make the step of extending that same treatment to one another as jesus has for us